Good morning. We are glad that you have braved the damp weather this morning and lacking of one plus hour of sleep so that you could come and join us for worship this morning. And, and I just want to ask, you know, maybe take a poll. How many of you would really love to see Ted Williams sing a solo? How many of you have ever heard Ted Williams sing a solo? That's what I thought too. Um, we may have to work something up at some point just to get him to do that again. You know, he's saying Jesus loves me with me at some point in the past. We may just have to make that happen again so that he will uh, learn. Maybe we'll see. We are so excited that you're here this morning. We, you know, I, I am thrilled to serve with the staff that uh, we have here at Ivy Creek. It is truly a joy for me to be able to serve alongside them. We are, we are friends and we uh, truly enjoy spending time with one another. But we also enjoy serving you and serving our Lord together in this place. And so uh, I feel very blessed and honored to have the staff that God has blessed me with here, uh, without whom I could not do what I do. And uh, I'm, I'm grateful to all of them. And uh, we like to have a good time and have a little fun with one another too. But I promise you that we take what we do very seriously here. We just don't always take ourselves seriously. And that is the difference between it. And we just pray that God continues to bless us. You know, but one of the very things that we value here at Ivy Creek is part of our culture, part of our DNA is we value God's word. And so this morning we, uh, we have a, a long passage of scripture uh, that unapologetically I'm going to read every word of it to you today because I want you to know that if you are here, if nothing else, I want you when you leave this place to know that, that this is a church that values the word of God to the degree that we will read God's word and proclaim it as well. And so if you've got your Bibles with you, and I hope that you do, would you take them out and turn with me once again to the book of Genesis and to chapter 30. And we are going to pick up in the last, with, with the last six years of Jacob's life as he spent them in the land of Haran. He has been there for 14 years up to this point. He served two seven-year stints, one for each of the daughters of Laban. The first daughter was Rachel. The second daughter was, excuse me, the first daughter was Leah. The second daughter was Rachel. He thought Rachel was who he was going to get the first time, and Laban tricked him and deceived him. And so he ended up with, with Leah, but then he served another seven years, and he was given the hand of Rachel. And what we are going to read this morning actually covers the time from when Rachel uh, bore him a son named Joseph all the way to the point where he actually leaves Haran and heads back to his homeland in Canaan. And so without further ado, let's begin reading this morning in chapter 30, verse 25, where the Word of God says this. And it came to pass when Rachel had borne Joseph that Jacob said to Laban, Send me away that I may go to my own place and to my country. Give me my wives and my children for whom I have served you and let me go for you know my service which I have done for you. And Laban said to him, please stay if I have found favor in your eyes for I have learned by experience that the Lord has blessed me for your sake. Then he said, name your wages and I will give it. So Jacob said to him, you know how I have served you and how your livestock has been with me for what you had before I came was little and it has increased to a great amount. The Lord has blessed you since my coming. Now, when shall I also provide for my own house? So he said, well, what shall I give you? And Jacob said, you shall not give me anything. 
If you will do this for me, I will again feed and keep your flocks. Let me pass through all of your flock today, removing from there all the speckled and spotted sheep and all the brown ones among the lambs and the spotted and speckled among the goats. And these shall be my wages. So my righteousness will answer for me in time to come when, they sub, when the subject of my wages comes before you and everyone that is not speckled and spotted among the goats and brown among the lambs will be considered stolen if it is with me. And Laban said, oh, that it were according to your word. So he removed that day, that is Laban removed, the male goats that were speckled and spotted and all the female goats that were speckled and spotted, everyone that had some white in it and all the brown ones among the lambs and gave them into the hands of his sons. Then he put three days journey between himself and Jacob and Jacob fed the rest of Laban's flocks. Now, Jacob took for himself rods and of green poplar and of the almond and chestnut trees and he peeled white strips in them and exposed the white which was in the rods. And the rods which he peeled, he set before the flocks in the gutters in the watering troughs where the flocks came to drink so that they should conceive when they came to drink. So the flocks conceived before the rods and the flocks brought forth streaked and speckled and spotted. Then Jacob separated the lambs and made the flocks face toward the streaked and all the brown in the flock of Laban but he put his own flocks by themselves and he did not put them with Laban's flock. And it came to pass whenever the stronger livestock conceived that Jacob placed the rods before the eyes of the livestock in the gutters that they might conceive among the rods. But when the flocks were feeble, he did not put them in. So the feebler were Laban's, and the stronger were Jacob's. Thus, the man became exceedingly prosperous and had large flocks, female and male servants and camels and donkeys. Now, Jacob heard the words of Laban's sons saying, Jacob has taken away all that our, was our father's and from what was our father's, he has acquired all this wealth. And Jacob saw the countenance of Laban and indeed it was not favorable toward him as before. And then the Lord said to Jacob, return to the land of your fathers and to the family and to your family and I will be with you. So Jacob sent and called Rachel and Leah to the field to his flock. And he said to them, I see your father's countenance that it is not favorable toward me as before. But the God of my father has been with me. And you know that with all my might, I have served your father. Yet your father has deceived me and changed my wages 10 times, but God did not allow him to hurt me. If he said thus, the speckled shall be your wages, then all the flocks bore speckled. And if he said thus, the streaked shall be your wages, then all the flocks bore streaked. So God has taken away the livestock of your father and given them to me. And it happened... At the time when the flocks conceived that I lifted my eyes and saw in a dream and behold, the rams which leaped upon the flocks were streaked, speckled and gray spotted. Then the angel of God spoke to me in a dream saying, Jacob, and I said, here I am. And he said, lift up your eyes and now see all the rams which leap on the flocks are streaked, speckled and gray spotted for I have seen all that Laban is doing to you. I am the God of Bethel, where you anointed the pillar and where you made a vow to me. Now arise, get out of this land and return to the land of your family. Then 
Rachel and Leah answered and said to him, is there still any portion or inheritance for us in our father's house? Are we not considered strangers by him? For he has sold us and also completely consumed our money. For all these riches which God has taken from our father are really ours and our children's. Now then, whatever God has said to you, do it. Then Jacob rose and set his sons and his wives on camels and he carried away all his livestock and all his possessions which he had gained and acquired his acquired livestock which he had gained in Padan Aram to go to his father Isaac in the land of Canaan. Now Laban had gone to shear his sheep and Rachel had stolen the household idols that were her father. And Jacob stole away unknown to Laban, the Syrian, in that he did not tell him that he intended to flee. So he fled with all that he had, and he arose and crossed the river and headed toward the mountains of Gilead. And Laban was told on the third day that Jacob had fled. Then he took his brethren with him, and he pursued him for seven days' journey, and he overtook him in the mountains of Gilead. But God had come to Laban, the Syrian, in a dream by night and said to him, Be careful that you speak. To Jacob, neither good nor bad. So Laban overtook Jacob. Now Jacob had pitched his tent in the mountains, and Laban with his brethren pitched his tent in the mountains of Gilead. And Laban said to Jacob, What have you done that you have stolen away unknown to me and carried away my daughters like captives taken with the sword? Why did you flee away secretly and steal away from me and not tell me? For I might have sent you away with joy and songs and timbrel and harp. And you really want to see the little laugh out loud emoji right there in your text. Laban goes on, and you did not allow me to kiss my sons and my daughters. Now you have done foolishly in so doing. It is in my power to do you harm. But the God of your father spoke to me last night, saying, be careful that you speak to Jacob neither good nor bad. And now you have surely gone because you greatly long for your father's house, but why did you steal my gods? And Jacob answered and said, to Laban because I was afraid and I said perhaps you would take your daughters from me by force with with whomever you find the your gods do not let him live in the presence of our brethren identify what I have of yours and take it with you for Jacob did not know that Rachel had stolen and Laban went into Jacob's tent, into Leah's tent, and into the two maids' tents, but he did not find them. Then he went out of Leah's tent and entered Rachel's tent. And Rachel had taken the household idols and put them in the camel's saddle and sat on them. And Laban searched all about the tent, but he did not find them. And she said to her father, Let it not displease my Lord that I cannot rise before you, for the manner of women is with me. And he searched, but he did not find the household idols. Then Jacob was angry and he rebuked Laban. And Jacob answered and said to Laban, now listen to this. What is my trespass? What is my sin that you have so hotly pursued me? Although you have searched all my things, what part of your household things have you found? Set it here before my brethren and your brethren that they may judge between us both. These 20 years I have been with you. Your ewes and your female goats have not miscarried their young and I have not eaten the rams of your flock. That which was torn by beasts I did not bring to you. I bore the loss of it. You required it from my hand, whether stolen by 
by day, stolen by night. There I was in the day, the drought consumed me and the frost by night, and my sleep departed from my eyes. Thus I have been in your house 20 years. I served you 14 years for your $2 and six years for your flock, and you have changed my wages 10 times. Unless the God of my father, the God of Abraham and the fear of Isaac had been with me, surely now you would have sent me away empty-handed. God has seen my affliction and the labor of my hands and rebuked you last night. Whew. Now listen to Laban's response. And Laban answered and said to Jacob, these daughters are my daughters. These children are my children. And this flock is my flock. And all that you see is mine. But what can I do this day to these my daughters or their children whom they have born? Now, therefore, come, let us make a covenant, you and I, and let it be a witness between you and me. So Jacob took a stone and he set it up as a pillar. And then Jacob said to his brethren, gather stones. And they took stones and made a heap. And then they ate there on the heap. And Laban called it Jager Sadahutha, but Jacob called it Galid. And Laban said, this heap is a witness between you and me this day. Therefore, its name was called Galid, also Mizpah, because he said, may the Lord watch between you and me when we are absent one from another. If you afflict my daughters or if you take otherwise before my daughters, although no man is with us, see, God is witness between you and me. Then Laban said to Jacob, here's the heap and here's the pillar which I have placed between you and me. The heap is a witness and the pillar is a witness that I will not pass beyond the heap to you and you will not pass beyond the heap and the pillar to, to me to harm. The God of Abraham, the God of Nahor, and the God of their, of their father judge between us. And Jacob swore by the fear of his father Isaac. And Jacob offered a sacrifice on the mountain and called his brethren to eat bread and they ate bread and stayed all night on the mountain. And early in the morning, Laban arose kissed his sons and daughters, and he blessed them. And Laban departed and returned to his place. Brothers and sisters, this is the word of God, and it is for the people of God. Let's pray together this morning. Our Father, we thank you for your word that you have given to us. We recognize, God, that for these words to be included in Holy Scripture means that they have importance. And their importance, Lord, is that we understand more about you. We understand about ourselves, but what we understand about ourselves is really only important as it pertains to how we understand you and what you have done for us and how you work through our lives. So I pray today that as we spend just a few minutes considering and pondering this text, that you would open our eyes to the truth that you would have us to see. And then not only are we alert to that truth, but then you would allow that truth to transform us by the power of your Holy Spirit working in us. This is my prayer, and I pray it in Christ's name. Amen. So I think in all of my years of preaching, that's the longest text that I've ever read to preach from. Let me go ahead and put you at ease. I do not intend on commenting on every verse that is there. I don't want all of you to get that hour back from me today. What I want to do, however, is provide you with just an outline that is composed of just three words that I think alert us to the key themes that this text brings out for us. And when we see those key themes, I think those key themes then will point us to the ultimate meaning of this text that we can take away and realize that this is what Moses was trying to communicate to us. 
And so the very first theme that I want you to be aware of comes from the first word that I want you to see from your text this morning. And the first word just simply is this. It's provision. Provision. We see God's provision working on Jacob's behalf in that God prospers him. For 14 years, as we mentioned, Jacob's Jacob had been an indentured servant to Laban. He had shepherded over Laban's livestock and worked in Laban's field. When it came to doing all the heavy labor, it wasn't Laban that was doing it. It was Jacob who was doing it. And in return, Jacob had been given the hand of, of Leah and the hand of Rachel to be his wives. And as we noted from our study last week, over the course of those 14 years, his family had grown. He now had 11 sons and one daughter. But He had little else. You see, Jacob had not been given a cut of any of Laban's profits. All Jacob had been provided was a place to live and food to eat. He had not been given the opportunity to lay back any wealth for himself that would serve as a means to to ultimately in the future support himself or his family. So having completed his 14 years of, of service that he had agreed to give to Laban, He's ready to leave Haran and he's ready to go back to Canaan, back to the land of his mother, of his father and where his mother lived and where his brother was and to go back to the place that God had promised him. And he was ready to settle down and he was ready to make a life for himself there. But Laban says, not so fast, son. You need to slow down for just a moment. I don't want you to leave just yet. Tell me what I've got to do to get you to stay. In fact, in verse 28, Laban says, name your wages and I will give it. And here we begin to realize just how valuable Jacob was to Laban. In fact, God had caused Laban to prosper because of Jacob. And and Laban even recognized that. If you'll notice back in chapter 30, verse 27, Laban says this, The Lord has blessed me for your sake. Jacob also knew that Laban had been blessed because of him. He, He even says, in verses 39, 29 and 30, he says, You know that I have served you and how, I, how your livestock has been with me. And then he says, "For what I, when, when I first came to you, you didn't have anything. What you had was very little, but since then the Lord has blessed you and now you've got a lot. But Jacob says, If I'm going to stay here, it ain't going to be under the same set of circumstances that it's been for the previous 14 years. He had to think about his own future. And he, had, he was ready to go home. So perhaps it was the thought, though, of going home with two wives and two maidservants and 12 kids and nothing else. Maybe it was that, thinking about how am I going to face my dad this way with nothing else to show for it that caused him to kind of think about his situation. Or maybe it was the fact that he realized I can negotiate with Laban for a better deal. Whatever the case may be, he decided to stay. But he says this, if I'm going to stay, here's going to be the new terms of my agreement with you. I don't want you to give me anything. After all, the last time you gave me something, it wasn't what we agreed on. You gave me Leah rather than Rachel. So I don't want you to give me anything. What I want, rather, is the streaked and the speckled and the spotted animals that are in your flock. Give me those. Those will be my wages. And any that are born in the future, they will become mine. And here's how you can tell if I'm dealing honestly with you. Anytime you come by and look at your flocks, when you see see my flocks, if you see any that are solid colored in my flocks, you'll know I've stolen them. And all you got to do is take them back. But anything that's mine will be streaked, speckled, or spotted. And I'll just start and I'll take that. Laban said, that's such a deal, man. I'm going to take that. 
Now, scholars estimate that, that it could have been as high as 10 to 15% of the flock, but we don't know for sure. Here's what Laban did, though. Laban says, sure, we'll agree with that deal, and the first thing he did was took all of the streaked and the spotted and the speckled out of the flock, and he gave them to his sons. It says, take them three days' journey from here so that they can no longer have any effect on what was left, and now we'll start the deal. So you've genetically culled all of those out of the flock, and all that Jacob has is solid-colored animals. Here's the point. God even allowed that scenario to happen and then began to bless Jacob in spite of Laban's deception of him. As a matter of fact, when it started, the first speckled or spotted or streaked one would come out, and then he would separate those out, and then the stronger of the flock, he would separate those out. And so you get this idea that Jacob had learned how to do a uh, specific kind of, of, of engendering of, of the birth of these, of these animals with the stronger of the flocks and the weaker being separated from one another to the point that as he continued to do this again and again and again over six years, ultimately, verse 43, his wealth became so exceedingly prosperous that he had flocks and female and male goat, uh, excuse me, and servants and camels and donkeys of all kinds. What becomes clear is that God provided for Jacob. Now, I'm sure some of you are wanting me to try to tell you, well, what is that about those sticks? What about those rods? What about those, those things that, that he's taken and he's pulled the bark away so that you can see the white meat of the stick against the darker uh, bark on the outside and that sometimes those things were pulled away in stripes, sometimes they were speckled, sometimes they were spotted and he would stick those things up in the troughs of where the water would be so that when they came and they would drink, that's also when they would mate and they would do this kind of stuff and you're wanting me to explain why all that happened? And I don't know. <laughs> I wore myself out trying to figure it out this week. Everybody in the office was tired of hearing about it. If, as most scholars think, what Jacob was doing was buying into a thought process that supposedly was prevalent in that time. And that is that when animals mated, whatever it was they were looking at, whatever pattern they were looking at, whatever color they were looking at, had a direct impact upon what kind of offspring they produced. It's the closest thing that most folks can come up with as far as an answer goes. If that was the case, understand this. Jacob was buying into something very similar along the same superstitious lines that Rachel and Leah were buying into last week when they wanted the mandrakes that they could trade back and forth that they thought would produce fertility in them. And in that regard, Jacob was wrong because it was not, it was not the sticks that were stuck up in certain order for, the, for the, the, the goats and the sheep to look at as they were mating. It was not that that created all of the wealth for Jacob because later when he's talking to Rachel and Leah out in the field surrounded by all those streaked, speckled and spotted goats and sheep, he actually tells us who it was that was behind it. Look there in, in verses uh, 10 through 13 of chapter 31. He says, I had a dream and behold, rams which leaped upon the flocks were streaked, speckled and gray spotted and the angel of God spoke to me in a dream 
saying, Jacob, lift up your eyes now and see all the rams which leap on the flocks. They're streaked, speckled, and gray spotted. For I have seen all that Laban is doing to you. I am the God of Bethel where you anointed the pillar and where you made a vow to me. Now arise and get out of this land and return to the land of your family. If you've been thinking that it was the sticks that were doing all this for you, let me just remind you, I'm the God that you encountered back in Genesis chapter 28. I'm the God of Bethel and everything that has happened to you has come from my hand. It hasn't come from something that you've been trying to navigate on your own. Now right here, though, right here is where we ought to remind ourselves of what happened back in Genesis 28. You remember that it was there that, that Jacob, when he was there, saw this huge ladder just appear out of the sky. And God was at the very top of that ladder and the bottom of it came down to the earth. And it was this stairway of which angels were coming up and down and up and down all the time as God was sending them to do the mission that he had for them to accomplish in the earth. And it was there that Jacob had encountered God for the very first time and he anointed this pillar. He, he picked it up and set it upright and he poured oil on it and he anointed it because that was the place that he had encountered God. And it was there that God had reminded him, look, when, when I come to you, you are going to be blessed. You are going to be blessed with the same blessing that I promised Abraham and that I promised Isaac. And now it's going to be yours. You're going to have a land and you're going to have a, a nation of people come from you that's larger and more diverse and, and, and more populous than the, than the dust on the earth. But not only that, I'm going to be with you. And I'm going to take care of you. And I'm going to bless you as you leave. And I'm going to take care of you until you come back to this land. All of that had been promised to Jacob back in chapter 28. And now some 20 years later, God revealed that he had done exactly that. Even though Laban had tried on many occasions to, to keep Jacob from prospering, twice in this passage he says every time we made an agreement he'd go and change the terms. And then we'd go off of those and he'd change the terms again. Every time he saw me getting ahead, he'd do what he could to turn me back. And God continued to bless him again and again and again. He provided for him. He provided for him and he prospered him in spite of all that Laban did. And in spite of the fact that Jacob had resorted to superstition and relying on himself. Now, brothers and sisters, I want you to know that is good news. That is good news for people like us. People, people who are a lot more like Jacob than we would ever care to admit. Because the fact of the matter is, when difficulties come upon us, when someone attempts to try to take advantage of us, or we get put in a disadvantaged situation, our first response and our typical response is to figure out what we can do to fix our own problems. How we can go about manipulating the circumstances to make ourselves be the one at the advantage. But God says, look, you don't have to worry about those things. If you're my child, you bring your cares to me and you allow me to be your God. I will protect you. It's also good news for some of us who have found ourselves being taken advantage of by others. Just as Jacob was taken advantage of by Laban. If you find yourself in that situation, understand this, that as God's child, God has promised that he will never leave you nor will he forsake you. And that he will keep you and that he will take care of you. God's provision, which did not simply provide for Jacob, but also prospered him is the, though the only thing that we see working in this passage. There's another word that alerts us to a key theme that's woven throughout the fabric of this text and that's the next word on your outline. It's protection. Protection. That's probably um, just intuitive that God protected Jacob but I want you to just see though they're beginning in, in chapter 31 verses 1 and 2 it makes it clear that 
that, that Laban's sons, as well as Laban himself, now looked at Jacob differently since his wealth was increasing. And they kept saying, look, he's only getting rich off of our flocks. He's got to be doing something because he's stealing all of our stuff. He's taking it from us. But the terms of the agreement were all the same. Every time a speckled, spotted, or streaked animal was born, it just became his. But then the angel of the Lord appeared to Jacob, told him to return to his homeland in Canaan. And then he prepared himself and his wives for the journey. Then Laban's away, shearing his sheep in another part, another set somewhere off. And then in verses 20 and 21, we see that Jacob stole away, unknown to Laban. He didn't tell him that he was going to leave. He just left. And he arose and crossed the river and headed toward the mountains of Gilead. Some have, some have criticized Jacob for leaving when Laban was away. I think it was a pretty good move if you want to know the truth about it. If you go back to chapter 30, you knew exactly how Laban was going to respond. He was going to do everything he could to stop him. And so the best time to leave was when he had a good head start. That's just the way I look at it. And we knew what was going to happen, right? As soon as, as soon as Laban found out, he came back home mad as a hornet, got a posse together and said, come on, we're going after that young man and we're going to do something to him. Well, he really wasn't that young. He was in his 90s by this point. But nevertheless, <laughs> takes off after him with this posse and he gets to him. It's seven days ride to catch up with him. And on the night before he catches him, notice what happens. The Lord appeared to Laban in a dream and he says, be careful that you do not speak to Jacob either good or bad. Don't miss that. You see, that was God's way of intervening into the situation and actually protecting Jacob because Laban had every intent on doing him harm. In fact, later down, he says in verse 42, unless the God, excuse me, he says, I, I will keep you, excuse me, he says this, well, let me find my spot. I done got so worked up. He said, it, it is in my power, verse 29, to do you harm, but the God of your father spoke to me last night saying, be careful that you speak to Jacob neither good or bad. It was in his intent to do Jacob harm, but God stopped him. And then later down in verse 42, Jacob recognizes that and says, unless the God of my father, the God of Abraham and the fear of Isaac had been with me, surely now you would have sent me away empty handed. God has been, has seen my affliction and the labor of my hands and he's rebuked you last night. So we see God's provision. We see God's protection interwoven throughout this passage. But that leads us to the third and final theme that I want you to see and that is the word preeminence. Preeminence is not a word that we really use in our normal English language on a regular basis, but it is a perfect word to describe God. To be preeminent means to be above all others. To be preeminent means to surpass all others, to be superior, to be supreme, to be sovereign. And God is certainly all of those things. We will see that demonstrated throughout this passage. But the most visible way is we see that God's preeminence on display in the fact that, that Laban is searching for his stolen gods. There in 31 verse 30, Laban accuses Jacob of stealing the gods from his tent. And Jacob has no idea what he's even talking about. But Rachel does. Because before they left, Rachel went to her father's tent and she stole all of his household item, idols. 
the word in the Hebrew is the word theraphim, and it is actually little carved human structures that were infused with this idea that they were deities and that they were they they had the ability to to, to give information about future events. So they were worshipped as idols. And Rachel takes these little carved gods from her dad's tent and he, she puts them in a saddlebag and then she sits on top of that saddlebag. Now let me ask you something. If, if a god can be stolen and hidden in a saddlebag so that the person who values that god and is searching for it cannot find it, is that really a God? Laban is searching for something that he evidently worships and, and values, but he can't find it because somebody has taken it away. Can a God like that actually help him? Can it provide for him? Can it prosper him? Can it protect him? Now, I believe that right there should have been a perfect trigger in Laban's mind to know that his faith and his confidence were in the wrong things. He was searching for the wrong stuff. He was valuing the wrong gods. But I want you to know this isn't the first time that Laban's been confronted with that fact. Yahweh's preeminence has been on display earlier in our text. You remember back in chapter 30, Jacob reminded Laban that his wealth and the size of his flocks before he came along had been relatively small, but they had grown immensely because God had blessed him through Jacob. Even Laban himself admitted the fact, the Lord has blessed me for your sake. One wonders why Laban continued to put his faith in any other gods in light of that revelation. Why would he continue to worship other things? And then later, as we noted, Laban came face to face with the preeminence of the sovereignty of God when God stopped him in his tracks and said, you better be careful what you say to Jacob tomorrow. You better not say anything good or evil. In other words, you better not put your hands on him. And Laban said, if I hadn't come across, if God hadn't appeared to me, I'd have choked the life out of you. But God stopped me. Time and time again throughout this passage, God has shown himself to be the preeminent the God, the sovereign God, the superior God, the one, only one who is worthy of worship. And yet, Laban refuses to soften his heart toward God. But then as this passage concludes, we see one of the saddest things take place. They decide to part ways. They're not going to agree on what's what, but they decide that they've got to part ways, and so they put a pile of stones there. Laban says, I'm not going to cross this stone to come toward you, and you don't cross this pile of stones to come toward me to do me any harm, and now we're going to take an oath. We're going to swear by our gods. And so Laban swears by the God of Abraham and the God of Nahor, his father, and the God of all their fathers back. He wants to make sure that he calls on all of them that he can get to be witness to him. Jacob. Jacob swears by the fear of his father Isaac, which I find to be one of the most beautiful Terms for God, names of God that we find in Scripture, not used very often, but it is the fear of his father Isaac. And Jacob sealed his oath by that promise that he made to the one and only true living God. And in that final scene, we see Laban kiss his daughters and his grandchildren. 
And then he watches. You have to know he watched as Jacob mounted his camels with his two daughters and with all of his grandchildren and with that massive amount of flocks that had all at one time belonged to him. And he watched them leave and head toward the land of Canaan. And all he could do was turn his head in sorrow and head back to his homeland in Haran, back to what was left of the household idols that had done him absolutely no good. So what have we learned from this passage? Well, those three words, provision, protection, preeminence. What do they tell us that we need to know about God? Well, that leads me to my sermon in the sentence this morning. My sermon in the sentence is this. God proves that he alone is the one true living God by graciously keeping his promises to provide for and protect his children. God is a preeminent God. There is no other God besides him. And he proves that again and again and again in this passage. And might I also say he has proven it again and again and again in all of your lives by providing for you and protecting you who are his children. In light of that, then there's just a few questions that I want to ask you and then we'll close. The first question is just simply this. Is your faith and your trust in God alone or is it in yourself? You see, you can't really come to this text and you can't really read it and come out on the backside and not be forced to ask yourself that question. Is my faith in God, the one true living God, or is it in me? Maybe I could put it a different way. Is my confidence in the fact that God has promised to take care of me in spite of all the troubles that I may face, or do I find myself trying to create my own solutions? Am I in the process of trying to create my own issues that will take care of my, and, and display the fact that my dependence is really not upon him, but upon myself? Here's my point. As, as Christians and as believers, you and I will be faced with that temptation virtually every day of our life in some respect. And it will be something that we will have to continue to wrestle with all the days of our lives. Because the fact that we are saved by grace through faith is also the way that we continue to live our lives by grace through faith. And God who, who stands above all things and promises to provide and protect us continues to call us to trust me whenever you come against those difficult moments in your life and when you're tempted to trust in yourself or other things, little gods that are out there that you think are going to provide you the answers, don't do it. It's a, it's a fool's trap. Trust in me. I'm the only one you can trust in. We will continue to grapple with those questions again and again because such is the essence of what it means to live our lives by faith. And then that leads me then to the last question that I want to ask you, and that is, do you have faith in the one true living God? You see, that last scene there, to me, is such a sad one. Laban had on so many occasions been introduced to Yahweh. He had benefited from God's grace. He had been witness to God's blessing. He had seen a demonstration of God's power over and over again. And yet he walked away having said goodbye to his family. Watching all that had once been his now become the possession of another man. And Laban traveled back to his home. I'm reminded of another man who walked away from Jesus in the New Testament. A man 
whom had encountered Christ. And he said, what must I do to be saved? And Jesus looked at him and said, go sell everything you own. and Give it to the poor and take up your cross and follow me. And the man walked away from Jesus sorrowful because the Bible says he was a man of many possessions. Laban had been a man of many possessions and likely still had plenty more. But he still turned and he walked away from the God who was there who could have really truly saved him. The truth is I can't answer why Laban did that any more than I can answer why so many others continue to do it today. You see, there are many like Laban, some of whom may be in this room this morning, who have witnessed again and again and again the blessings of God in your life. You've witnessed the power of God. Some of you have benefited directly because there are believers in your family or in your circle of friends who have prayed for you and you have benefited from God's blessings in your life and yet you are still holding on to other things that you hope will be the things that save you rather than reaching out and holding on to the one true living God. May I say to you today that if that is the case, God is still gracious and merciful to you. God still offers you pardon and forgiveness from your sins because of what the Lord Jesus Christ has done. In fact, I want you to know that when Laban admitted that God had blessed him for Jacob's sake, that that admission actually pictures an even greater blessing. A blessing of salvation that is offered to everyone through Jesus, Jacob's greater son. In other words, God blesses us and he forgives us of our sin and saves us for eternal life for Jesus' sake. The Bible clearly declares that Jesus Christ has come to bring life and hope and eternal life and peace with God. And he has promised that to all who will by faith receive him as their Savior and their Lord. And God says he will keep his promises to those who do. He will keep them by providing and protecting the question is, will you trust in him today? Will you abandon the idols? Will you abandon your scheming and fall into the arms of a gracious and merciful Savior? Brothers and sisters, this is the word of God. It is for the people of God. Let's pray together. Father.